0: right (laughs) all right we're missing a couple people they're on their way okay y'all's fans blow faster and harder than the ones in the United States just want to say that (laughs) oh you don't have to start right now I mean you started recording already oh you want me to start now Okay, surprise, right? (laughs) So I kind of wanted just to to see where you're at as far as sacred cows. Traditions have been on divine healing. Um, Like I said, I know that the majority of you are trainers. You're going around, you're training people. So we'll go through a list of sacred cows Do you have the stuff memorized or do you need, like, you have manuals? What do you do? What do you use? You have manuals. So you don't have it memorized? Huh? You don't have the references memorized? Okay. Okay. All right, I'll test you on it then. Okay, well, you know, you said that you had them memorized. (laughs) So we will start, let me see, we'll start off with an easy one, okay, sound good, easy one, what scripture disproves that Jesus could not heal everyone in his own hometown? Daisy. Okay. Mark 6. Yep. Mark 6. Yep. And he was in... On the Sabbath day. That's all I see here. Okay. All right. Next one. Jesus healed to prove that he was God. No? Yeah, but... What scripture do you have to use then to to prove that wrong? What logic can you use to prove that wrong? Simple logic proves it wrong. Hold on, hold on. Very true. What about his disciples? What about the 72? What about everybody in the Old Testament? Right, they healed. It would make them God as well, right? And we got tons of scriptures there for you in the manual, so you can go through there and you can see a lot of them. All right, what about Jesus only gave the gift of healing to his disciples? Mark sixteen. Okay. What? What besides Mark sixteen? Matthew twenty eight. All right. Okay, what what proves that in the book of Acts? Ananias. is a good one. What else? Who else? Ananias works. Who else? Okay, we already moved past that. We're in we're in the book of Acts. We're in New Testament. Gospels are still Old Testament. You do realize that, right? Yes, okay. We're in the New Testament. Paul? What about Stephen? What about Philip? Timothy, Silas, Barnabas. Right? All right. So let's get to some goodness. You ready for some goodness? Paul's thorn. Paul's thorn. All right? Counts as nothing. Counts as nothing when you actually look at what it says. So, what it says in English is a messenger of Satan, right? What it actually says is messenger Satan pronoun. Satan is only used in the New Testament twice as a pronoun, both times referring to a spirit, to Satan himself. oh sorry you got the point you got the point she didn't write it it's her fault no I'm joking I'm joking so messenger of Satan it doesn't say of because that means it's possessive means it would have to be in a genitive form okay so what it actually says is messenger Satan pronoun Satan is a pronoun. It's a name. He's directly speaking uh, to and about Satan. Okay? So here's the thing. Let's let's read it. Second Second Corinthians twelve, seven through ten. Of Satan, So what is he saying here? Context is everything. Okay? So now that we know it's not actually a person, it's a demon. Satan himself is what Paul's actually written. It's come to buffet him. Okay? So... What was God's response? What was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you, right? So, does it mean that God did not want to deliver Paul from Satan? No, not at all. Jesus himself said, Satan is coming, but he has no place in me. Right? Was he persecuted? Was he persecuted? Jesus. Was he persecuted? Yes, he was. Who's saying (laughs) no? He was persecuted. (laughs) And so... So you begin to see that <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie it together was it, did, does Satan use people? yes he does okay so was it just people persecuting them on their own will or were they under the influence of Satan you see what I'm saying so just to say it was people and we go back into numbers we go to, it's in Deuteronomy it's in, um, it's in like five or six different places in the New Testament alone, right? Uh, numbers 33, 55, Joshua 23, 12 through 13, Judges 2, 2 through 3, Ezekiel 28, 24, and several other places. So you see, and I can prove that. You know, Acts 13.50, Acts 17.5, Acts 21.27 is where the crowd was stirred up against Paul. When he went to preach to who? To the Jews. He went to the Jews first. Right? And that's when he got in trouble. So he talks about his infirmities. So that's what I'm saying. You look at everything in context. And you see, um, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a a messenger, Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So I pleaded with the Lord three times to depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So did God, Let me ask you a question. Did Paul have the power to cast the demon out? Yes. He had the power and the authority to tell Satan, go. So why was Paul pleading to God? I'm getting a question. Get in his mind. Why was he pleading to God about this? What was Paul's greatest desire? Do you know? To bring the revelation of what? To people? To any people? to the Jews he was known as apostle to the Gentiles but he wanted to reach his own people right so what's a thorn in the side like one where you can't even reach the people you desire to reach see what I'm saying because the enemy stirs them up against you every single time you see what I'm saying so if we go back and we forward a little bit and we see when Paul is making his journey to Jerusalem, what happens? He says he was warned by the Holy Spirit in every place he stopped not to continue to Jerusalem. And his answer was, and I purposed within myself to go. So a lot of people miss it. He was deliberately disobeying the Holy Spirit. And you can tell. As soon as he gets there, what does he do? He does something that he believed completely against. What he taught against. He went back into the purification process. By listening to who? James. What did it cost him? Ultimately, it cost him his life. Did God get glorified still? Absolutely he did. He was able to go into Rome, produce fruit in Rome where he wanted to go for some time. But it was Paul who decided to go that direction. You see this? So can you say that Paul was out of the will of God? no. He was still in God's will. He had the freedom to move around inside of God's will and he decided to go a direction and God still honored him for it. You see that? So this is something a lot of people aren't willing to talk about because they're like, oh no, no, Paul was like perfect. When he got off the bed, he floats. And he goes, oh, Jump on him. Right? That's what people want you to believe about Paul. But Paul was. Had a temper. You can see it. Through his writings. Through his interactions. That's why it took somebody third person. To be completely honest about Paul. Right? And so you'll begin to understand. The mentality and why he started begging because he was so, he was getting puffed up by the revelations themselves. Isn't that what he just said? He was getting puffed up because of the revelation himself. So when the enemy came, he could not cast them out. Because why? So what I've been telling you is what I've been talking about. He began operating out of his soul. It's proof right here. He was operating out of his soul and not allowing the power of God, the grace of God, unmerited favor, charis, to move the spirit that was afflicting him. Do you see this? Do you understand? Because then we look at when he goes to Jerusalem, he's still trying to make it happen on what? All right. Powers come to the camera. Okay. Share a quick testimony. I was in Bible school. A friend of mine, her car stopped working. It wouldn't turn on. And I knew a little bit about cars. I know a whole lot about cars. But I figured it's either the battery or the alternator, right? So I go move some wires around, everything, try turning it on. Still nothing, nothing, nothing. I try pouring Coke on the battery, you know, remove all the acid and stuff. Nothing, nothing. So I close the hood. I lay hands on it. I said, right now, in Jesus' name, you will work. Right? I jumped in the car, and I was going to try it. And I was like, no, I better wait till one of the upperclassmen, who's a mechanic, showed up. Well, he shows up like five minutes later. So I go over, and I talk to him. I was like. Can you come check out the car? I'm pretty sure it's the battery or the alternator. But actually, I just prayed for the car. I'm saying this without thinking about it. I just prayed for a car, so it's probably going to start right up. So I hop in the car, don't pop the hood, turns right on. Like, okay, maybe it's a fluke. Turn it off, turn it on again. Hmm. Turn it off, turn it on again. I was like, Okay. So I go, take the keys, give them to the girl, toss them to her. and said, your car works, but you need to replace your battery as soon as possible. And she was like, okay. It's two months later, she goes to the store. She finally has the money to, to, you know, when you're in a Bible school, you know, you're, you're always, it seems to be tight on money, right? Anytime you go to school, you seem to be tight on money. And so two months later, she had the money to get the battery. She shows up, and they test it, and they said, "No, no, no, there's no way you you drove here in this car." Um, filled the engine. It's hot. I just got here in this car. No, 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 that's impossible. I just told you, I drove here in this car. No, 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 you don't understand. That is physically impossible." And she's looking, she's like, "What don't you understand? My car is here. I am here. Right? He goes, look. He goes inside, gets a screwdriver, pops open the cells in the battery. They're completely dry. Completely dry. What does that mean? Do you know? There's nothing to even support the life of the battery. And we're not going to get into... Um, what do you call it? Physics? yeah. <laughs> Physics, talking about battery and how they actually work. But it's very interesting on how everything worked, right? So another time, a lady I was discipling, her friend died. She's on her way to the hospital to raise her from the dead, right? And in the middle of a storm, she, she jumps in the car and she's driving her car dies out of nowhere. She's like, now I'm stuck out in the middle of nowhere in the rain. And there's a slim chance that anybody's going to drive by and help me. I so, said, well, God can help you. And she's like, what do you mean? Because she calls me on the phone. She's like flipping out, right? And I said, calm down, calm down. This is what you're going to do. Go around to the hood. Put your hands on the hood and say, in Jesus' name, you will work. And she said, that's it? I go, just do it. So she drives around. She puts her hands on the hood. And she said, she's like, say it with me. I said, okay. Right now, you'll work in Jesus' name. She jumps in the car. Go try it. Boom. Turned right on. She's like, it worked. I go, I know. I've done it before. I know. Right? So she's all pumped. She's excited. She jumps in the car. She continues on. So you see, we put limits on the power of God. We put limits on what he's able to do because of experience. We think, well, that's impossible. Well, it doesn't say that all things are possible for him who believes. So it's possible, right? A friend of mine, we're in uh, the cafeteria, and we were making smoothies when we weren't supposed to be making smoothies. Okay, I'm admitting on camera. Okay? <laughs> and a friend grabs the blender, puts everything in it. We're talking. We're talking about scripture. All of a sudden, he hits the power button. Man. Friend next to me, his jaw drops. And we're just talking, you know? And he's like, ah, ah, What? You just turned that on. Yeah? You see me making a smoothie. I mean, it, it's powered on. I turned it on. He said, no, 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 no. And he goes around to the back of the, cor- the, of the counter, holds up the end of the extension cord, or the power cord, right? So he comes back over here. Well, there was one over here earlier. Oh. Anyways, so you know the part that goes into the wall? He holds it up. It's not even plugged in. And he drops it. He was like, you guys are freaking me out. (laughs) And he left, right? And we're like, okay, that's cool. You know, (laughs) just the power of God. Seeing what he's able to do. But what limits the mind, right? I have friends. They go and they minister to the homeless. And they see awesome, awesome things happen all the time. And so they had been going to this one homeless area for like six months, saw every single one of them completely healed, delivered from drugs, but they're still on the streets because they choose to be on the streets, right? So it's winter now and it's like 12, 13 degrees below zero, which is how many degrees Celsius? It's frigid, very frigid, okay? Yeah, well, she'll check. And so all these people, they're homeless. They don't have a home. They don't even have heat. They just have jackets. They're trying to stay warm. And it snows there. And when it snows, I don't mean it just makes the ground white. I mean three feet, four feet of snow. Right? So it's a lot of snow. And so it was very interesting because one time they're out. My dear friend, who's a Bible scholar. That I talk to a lot. (coughs) Minus 10 degrees. degrees? Yeah, minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Negative 23 23 Celsius. So it's cold, right? It's cold. And so he's like, is there anything I can do for you? He goes, we're we're not hungry. We have plenty of food. We're just cold. He's like, well, I'm sorry. I can't do anything for you. Right? He just like goes through all these people. And they're sitting in. And they, all their team comes together and said, so what's going on? Did y'all see, find anybody to heal, deliver, set free, anything like that? And they're like, no, no. And he's like, the only complaint we have is that they're cold. And one of the guys in the group goes, really? Well, I've just been praying that they warm up and they warm up. Their body temperature warms up. And they're no longer, no longer cold. My friend goes, duh, this whole time, could have just prayed for him to get warm. So they break apart. They go back out to, to the homeless. He goes back to the same people. He's like, oh, are you still cold? Yes, yes, I'm still cold. And they're like, duh, 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 right, it's cold. And so he grabs their hands. like, warm right now in Jesus' name. They heat up. They're starting to take off their jackets. They start getting warm. This is the power of God. We put limits on it. Oh, look, there's a bee. Or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's very important that we begin to use everything that God's given us because they're tools. They're tools to make lasting change. They're tools to impact and change and create long-lasting impact wherever you go. Jesus didn't come... To make social groups, right? He didn't come to make social groups. He came to make disciples. And like I told you earlier, if you just made three disciples over the next year, for the next several years, in 30 years, we could take the entire world for Christ. Very simple. If we do 12, it becomes a fraction of that. There's a lot of people who've never heard the true gospel they don't know the value that God has placed on them so there's different things that you can do to make yourself prepared and be ready to minister the gospel at any time and it requires doing what you call homework right remember when we were talking about business mind your business know your business so sometimes you it requires you to study other religions Compare them to yours, to your lifestyle. Compare them to your Jesus. And you begin to see there's a lot of differences. That becomes your selling point. Just speaking as a businessman, right? It becomes your selling point. So you're not having to convince them. All you do is you declare the word of God. It's up to the Holy Spirit to convince them, convict them, right? Right? It's very simple. If you tr- if you're trying just to get one person to become a disciple, then you're having too much trouble and you're going about it the wrong way. Should be simple, should be easy. How hard was it for Jesus to walk up to somebody and say, "Follow me." And they dropped their nets and they followed him. It was easy. Right? There's more to that, obviously. But it was easy. So let's continue on. What about Paul's thorn was an eye problem? Anybody heard that before? Huh? Yeah, people say it was an eye problem. It was a very contagious eye problem by the name of, do you know what it's called? I just know it starts with a G. (laughs) But it was very contagious, and if it was true, then why was he sending aprons out to people during that time? And they were getting healed when it was supposed to actually cause them to get the disease. Right? Makes no sense. The logic that people try to hide behind is, is pretty funny. So, let's talk about Paul's eye problem. What was the real issue of Paul's eyes? We we're talking about Galatians 4, 13 through 15. What was the eye problem? Anybody know? Galatians 4, 13 through 15. No, no, we're talking about his eyes right now. Acts 17? Acts, 19. Acts 19? Are you sure? There you go, Fourteen nineteen. <laughs> right? He was stoned, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Have you seen anybody who's been beat up with fists, their eyes are swollen. Right? Because where's the first place they want to punch somebody? In the eye. Right? And they were throwing stones at them. We think of stones as rocks we, we pick up outside, right? No, no, no. Go look at the wall right there in the parking lot. The stones, 12 inches by 12 inches, or in the, the height of it's like 4, 5, 6 inches. Those are stones. You have to put some might into it. It doesn't say rocks. It doesn't say pebbles. Right? It says stones. Stones are big rocks. Okay? So imagine getting hit in the face with one of those puppies. Hmm? What happened to your face? You won't be able to see. Your eyes will be swollen, shut. You you got into a fight with Mike Tyson. Right? So in Galatians 6, 9 through 11, what does it say? It says, let us not grow weary in well-doing before in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So they're saying he had to write these large alphabetical letters. Right? So that people, because he couldn't see. Because as as he admitted in Galatians 4, he, he couldn't see anything. So he had to write large letters to him. Does this make sense? If you can't see anything, how are you going to write large letters? You see how this logic makes no sense? Okay? (laughs) Hebrews 7, 1 through through 4. It's the same word as large as used in verse 4, but I'm I'm giving you the context, 1 through 4. For it says, see how great this man was whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. How great is the exact same word used for large. So what matters? The word that's used for letters. Okay? John five, forty-seven. John seven, fifteen. Acts twenty-six, twenty-four, acts twenty-eight, twenty-one. Romans 2, 12 through 29. Romans 7, 6. And it tells you over and over and over. It's not talking about alphabet letters. It's actually talking about writings. Hmm? Volume, yeah. So he's saying by the large volumes, I'm writing you. See, because a lot of people don't realize that Galatians was attached to Hebrews and sent around. It's very interesting, right? So in all the scriptures I gave you, it says writings, letters, learning, letters, written code, letters, letter. Okay, what about Paul could not heal his friend Epaphroditus? He left him sick somewhere. Epaphroditus? Huh? Exhausted? No, it says he's sick. Sick almost unto death. You're supposed to give the answers to their arguments. Right? <laughs> right? So we see Philippians 2. 26 through 27a. But people forget to finish reading the rest of the context. People only want to focus on the negativity. They don't know what spirit they are of. So if we actually read it in full context, it says, since he was longing for all of you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick Feeble, weak. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, or on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent, for, sent the more eagerly, sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of the Lord he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So here we see God had mercy on him and he was healed. Right? What about Trimopheus? Paul could not heal Hmm? Do you know? Yes, no, maybe so. Tremopheus, he was tired. He was exhausted, right? 2 Timothy 4.20. Tremopheus, I left in Miletus weak. Some people translate as sick, but it doesn't say sick. It says weak. Okay, and so we can make the case of Paul's life was very um, laborious, if you want to say so. So this is what his life was like: in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often, and hunger and thirst and fastings, often, and cold and nakedness. This is how he lived his life. This is with the markings of an apostle. <laughs> you ready for it? He's like, yeah. <laughs> he was envied by people. He was persecuted. People incited crowds against him. Right? So what about people who say, I'm just like Job. I'm just like Job. God's letting Satan sift me. Really? What's one thing that quickly eliminates I'm just like Job? Hmm? New Covenant? It's very good, yes. What else? We're like, well, it's New Covenant. Yeah. It says that no man on the earth was as upright as Job. Right? That's what it says. So I've had somebody tell me, "I'm just like Job." Really? Can I come and study under you? What do you mean? It says that there's no one like you in all the earth. Because you're so upright and righteous. Well, well, I've never said that. Yes, you did by making that statement. Go back and read the first chapter. It's what it says. Right? I'm telling you, the logic makes no sense. And then my next question is, Do you know when the book of Job was written? Hmm? written? Not before Genesis. (laughs) Well, technically before it was recorded, yes. Yes, but not before the events of Genesis. (laughs) So it was during the time of Joseph. It was during the time of Joseph. Joseph. Job existed Most people don't know that So we could talk about a number of things Right just out of Job alone People say the Lord gives The Lord takes away Right who said that Was it God It was Job Did he get rebuked by God For saying that Yes he did Yes he did did God heal Job? Yes, he did. How long did it take? Nine months? Where does it say nine months at? Is uh-huh, some calculation, really? It says months, are you sure? Are you positive? Job seven, let's go read it. Let me back up. What does it say? Job seven, three. Job seven, three. What does it say? Months of vanity, fertility? So you mean he sat there with his friends for months? Is that what you think? So you think he sat there in a circle with his friends for months? Hmm? Would you sit with your friend around the fire for months? You'd be roasted like a chicken. <laughs> Think about this. Let's look at it. Let's go to Job twenty nine two. What does it say? Okay, Job thirty sixteen. Does it say months? Does it say months? Days of affliction. Job 30, 27. Days. This was over a matter of days. It wasn't months. It was as if it were months. It felt like months. Months. But it wasn't months. It was days. It's very quick. Scholars will tell you it was about a week. It's a lot different than months. Definitely not nine months. Right? Very different. Any Anytime you read something and it seems to contradict, go look it up in the original language. It explains it all. Okay, all right, let's go to the next one. What about generational curses? This is a generational curse, so I can't get be healed or, or free. Okay? How do you defeat it in the Old Testament alone? jumping to Ezekiel I'm still back in Deuteronomy it says itself in Deuteronomy for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of your fathers on your children your third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments right 7 9 therefore know that the Lord your God he